Today's podcast is brought to you by Eggshell Light Company. For over 45 years, Eggshell Light Company has been the go-to specialty shop handling the lighting needs for all that grace the shores of beautiful Hawaii. Combining the artistic methods of the theater with the speed and efficiency of the musical touring industry, they have pioneered event lighting throughout the Hawaiian Islands. They specialize in supply of top-shelf equipment and designers for broadcast concerts, corporate, and special events. From the smallest weddings to televised concerts and the largest corporate clients, they know this is your most important event. It is their goal to make sure you feel that way. Aloha from Eggshell Light Company. Welcome everyone to another episode of LD at Large Podcast. My name is Chris Lose. I am the designer relations developer at Ayrton Lighting, as well as columnist for PLSN Magazine. It is another day in isolation, so uh, today was a good day to reach out to my longtime friend, Jason Rothberg. Uh, he was a former touring lighting designer, director, and programmer. He is now technical director at the San Diego Symphony. Uh, welcome. Thanks so much for making the time, Jason. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm, uh, I'm really glad to be able to hang out for a little bit. Yeah, it's been a while. It has been a while. The last time we got to hang out was in Vegas. No, I think we were in London, actually. I think the last time we saw you. London, that's right. That's right. But, uh, oh, forget that festival. What it was called. Uh, Hyde Park. Yeah, the one with all the trees. Yeah, that was one of the last few, one of the last Tom Petty performances. It, was, it wasn't... Uh, yeah. Shortly after that, that he passed away. Yeah. We did a, a show opening for him in Seattle and Vancouver, I think, maybe just a month before he passed away. Uh, so one of the things that, or one of the reasons I wanted to reach out to you is because you are in a, in a decent position right now. You got off the road at a, at a decent time. Uh, you kind of want to talk about what led you to getting off the road and why you're going to be a little bit in, why you're kind of sheltering in place in San Diego these days. Uh, yeah, I recently just retired from touring probably I guess, two months ago now. And uh, I think, you know, I've been on the road for almost 10 years straight. Kind of every time I left, I uh, was looking, you know, I wanted to leave less and less every time, you know, I was packing the bags and, you know, uh, it just felt like time to start being home more with the family and the dogs and uh, the fiance. And uh, congratulations! Oh, thank you. It's been three years now. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of people try and rush the fiance thing. I, Sharon and I, we went for two years, and that was that was a nice time to just be yeah. just enjoy each other. Things change once you get married. I, I don't know yeah. how to put it in way different. <laughs> Things just change. Yeah. We actually got engaged while I was on tour in, uh, I think we were in South Africa and uh, he came out and proposed while we were out there. But uh, yeah, it was three years ago now. <laughs> One day. I would say that the, the proposal part was harder than the actual wedding. Yeah. For me. Uh, when the, the proposal actually is so nerve wracking. Yeah. I don't even remember what I said to, uh, <laughs> I don't even think I got down on one knee or anything. That's the way it is. It's not about the exact words. It's it's really about the feeling and all that. Yeah. 
after stuff like that, it's amazing how your priorities change. Yeah. Like, I never wanted to get off the road until I had, I had kids and it, it's in our touring brains. We think that we're going to be do this forever and we can thrive forever. Yeah. Eventually yeah. our priorities change. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the longer you go at it and the longer you're away from home, it just, I don't know, the excitement started going away and it wasn't the same as it was when I first started touring. A lot of people seem to think that we're world travelers and we're getting to see all these rare and exotic places, but it's really just the loading docks and the front of houses of the world. Yeah. Yeah. Every now and then you get lucky and you'll get some days off somewhere and get to spend some time and explore. But yeah, for the most part, it's, you know, either wake up at the venue or fly in somewhere cool and new, but then you go straight to overnight programming, wake up at, you know, noon and then mm-hmm. back to the venue, do a show and fly out. Those are never the things that we post on Facebook though. We always yeah, post exactly. the sunsets and the yeah, exactly. beautiful parks on our days off for where yeah. we're at for maybe an hour. Yeah. On the way to the venue. Mm-hmm. You know, the first few times I was in Paris, you know, I ne- never even saw Paris, you know, woke up at the venue, did shows and then left, never even saw it. Yeah. A lot of people will ask me what it's like to be touring Europe and, the same except people don't speak as much english yes yeah. and everyone and there's a lot more cobblestone to load in on yeah exactly pretty much the difference and smaller trucks i find it harder to get iced in my drinks that's yeah that was or, my first experience of europe like ah, it's really difficult to, to get a lot yeah. of the things yeah you have to ask for ice and when you do it's like one ice cube so I suffer from what I call grass is greener on the other side itis, where when I'm touring, I want to get off the road. And when I'm off the road, I want to get back on the road. Yeah. And because of that, I've basically quit touring about four times. And every time I'm off the road, it's for a, f- a number of years. And then I'm back at home. And after a few years, I decide it's time to go back on the road again. And my wife's usually fairly flexible about that. Yeah. Did that discussion come up when it, when you decided to consider it? Sort yeah. I mean, we weighed the like what were the chances that I was actually going to stick out a new job, not get bored of it really quick, and be like, uh, "This sucks. Fuck it, back. Let's just go back <laughs> on tour." Or like you know, the second I accepted the job, was all these offers going to come in for all these tours and everything? That was kind of a fear playing in the back of my head too. Obviously now that none of that happened. (laughs) That is a, that's a very real fear. Yeah. When I took the job with Ayrton, I swear to it was just like an unleashing of the hounds. I got at least 50 phone calls like, Hey, can you go do this? And of course they're always the most interesting tour you could imagine. Yeah. Like the dream tour finally called. Mm And you yeah. have to be very polite, like, hey, so I don't tour anymore, but also don't forget my name in case this right. whole thing yeah, work out. Exactly. And, you know, and a part of me was like, am I throwing away, you know, I've been in lighting for 20 years now and is like, was accepting, you know, a technical director position. Was I going to be just throwing away, you know, my entire career, just the fear that I was having, anxiety, just change in general. Mm-hmm. I would imagine you had to do a decent pros and cons list. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Actual on paper, just in your head, but 
that you yeah. had to kind of look at, well. I think we actually did make a spreadsheet, a pro and con spreadsheet. How logical of you. <laughs> and then it was just even uh, putting together like a formal resume was actually difficult for me to do too. I've never kind of in the industry, you'd never really have, have to do that. You know, I always had like a list of tours you know, if somebody ever asked for a resume, I'd just be like, well, here's the tours I've done, you know, or it's just word of mouth or someone's like, Hey, I need somebody. You're like, I'm available. And then next thing you know, you're on a flight. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't imagine the symphony was as interested in your word of mouth. I would imagine they really needed yeah, an it was actual definitely, paper or PDF yeah. resume. Yeah. Uh, and then it was like a formal interview process, which I'd never really gone through before either. Uh, I, I didn't know what to wear. I didn't know what to say, you know, and you know, the next thing, you know, meeting with the CEO, I was like, it's <laughs> never happened. Uh, yeah. And rock and roll. It's just not like that. There's the formal process is so quick and yeah. it's like, Oh, it's you're really, available. Yeah. Then, there's, yeah. There's no formal process really at all in the rock and roll inside of it. And then it was also trying to explain how, all of my tour, you know, my whole resume was basically just a list of tours that I've done, but, you know, and then trying to show how that experience related to this technical director position, you know, kind of reading the doc job description. It's like advancing shows, you know, running union crew and all that stuff. Like a lot of it was kind of similar overlap. And so I would imagine that local jobs had come across your emails before. How did this one kind of spark a little extra interest for you? I just thought I'd be good at it. Like I said, you know, kind of reading the job description, there was a lot of overlap of, you know, being a touring technical director, you know, a lot of it seemed very similar. Some of the duties were quite similar, if not the same. Just did now you it's- Did seek it out or did it, or did somebody at the symphony seek you out? A friend of mine told me about it, uh, that okay. they were about, about to list the position she had told them about me and then when the position was officially officially available uh i applied for it okay and you kind of thought well i have this beautiful backyard now let's do it <laughs> and uh try and enjoy my backyard yeah we haven't really even been able to enjoy it yet but uh yeah yeah it was Part, part of the thought too, just being able to stay home and enjoy it. I would imagine the two dogs had a lot of interest in you staying home, Kona and yeah. Lexi. Yeah, they're loving it. Uh, they're getting more walks and attention than they ever have. This is actually, you know, the most, typically they would go to work with Daniel. Uh, he brings them to work with him, but now they just stay home because I'm home now all the time. So they're loving it. On top of uh, the new job, the new stay-at-home job, you also have the full-time stay-at-home shelter in place in San Diego. So yeah, I imagine they're, they're with you all the time now. All the time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, I haven't left the house. I think leave the house like once a week. Can't really, you know, the offices are shut down and uh, pretty Is much. Is there still uh, construction going on? Yeah. Uh, with the new venue, the construction's still moving forward, uh, but the theater's shut down. All the shows are pretty much the entire indoor season. The rest of the indoor season, which ended in at the end of May, has been canceled. Right on. So anybody who's listening who doesn't know, in San Diego, 
Jason is overseeing the building of a brand new, what looks like a clamshell symphony hall outdoors. Yeah, pretty much. It's like a Bayside mini uh, Hollywood Bowl. And that's pretty much what you were brought on to help out with. That was, was that, part of it. That was part that was of part it. of the scope from the very part of the beginning. scope. Yeah, it was you know would be it's would be overseeing both venues. Nice. Uh, and get, that and sounds get, very exciting. That's a whole new project. Yeah, it's been very exciting and uh, still a lot of lighting involved, uh, getting the whole design for the venue put together and you know specking out all the gear and fixtures and everything. It's had a lot of challenges with it, um, so just trying to work through all those. It's very. It's a bit of a difficult venue. And you're actually going to be going to the same place for work every day now. Every day, yeah. Uh, every day. It's been home <laughs> for the last six weeks. Uh, I think I got only three weeks in at the office uh, before the shelter in place came down. So I've uh, been working home from home longer. I have, if nothing else, I have realized that I am not a Monday through Friday, nine to fiver since shelter in place. <laughs> Even with my new job at Ayrton, I'm still world traveling, going yeah. from here to going to Paris, going to China, going to all over the place. And now that I'm shelter in place, it's, I still have to keep some semblance of a schedule Yeah, and kissing my wife and kids goodbye at the breakfast table to just walk 10 feet to my office where I close the door and hide for eight hours. It doesn't, it doesn't suit me. I don't feel yeah. like, I don't feel like I'm caged, but I definitely feel like this, this isn't how people should be working. Yeah. It, uh, it's taken a little getting used to, you know, I finally was starting to settle into the, you know, never had the nine to five and it, it's still not really nine to five, but some days it is non show days and that, you know, started settled into the office routine. I uh, mm-hmm. was getting get used to that. And then, yeah, I, once the shelter in place happened, uh, you know, the first few weeks were like, oh, it's fun. You know, no need to get dressed, just wear gym clothes all day and eat like a fat ass and whatever. <laughs> uh, uh, but then, you know, a few last week after about a month, I was just like, I can't, I need to start getting back into I think I needed the routine. I think I realized I need a routine to to stay sane. Good for you. That's a good realization. Yeah. Um, so just one kinda... of the things that's been helping me out a lot now is I actually have a list on my computer of things that I have to remind myself that I dislike about touring. <laughs> because when you're not touring, it's really easy to romanticize and kind of forget yeah. some of the shitty parts. Yeah. But if you keep a list of them. If you were to create a part, if you were to create a list of the shitty parts of touring, what would, what would be on that list? I don't know. <laughs> uh, so what, like what some I, things would be. What did I hate about touring? Just the so being one gone. at the top of my list was taking a, a shower out of a plastic water bottle, which happened to me <laughs> on one of my first tours where I, I guess, yeah. there was no time to take a shower. So I just took a yeah. plastic water bottle, popped the cap, yeah. sprinkled my hair, put on some deodorant and went to work that day. And that, yeah. I think, yeah, fest- festivals, I think, would be at the top of that list. <laughs> mm. uh, and probably catering and seeing some of the certain, some certain people every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whether you want to or not, they're, they're right they're there, there up in your... 
yeah. up in your business. <laughs> what were some of the other things on your list? Uh, smelly shoes. Mm, the shoe uh, drawer. But, the shoe drawer on the bus. <laughs> so that's weird. I've been on tours where it was just understood that shoes go in the drawer in the back lounge. I always thought that was just, at the bottom. On other tours, it's just understood that they go in the aisle way. I'm like, that's that. Yeah. The last tour I was they on. Go, but. Yeah. I, yeah. I always, I right there with you. The last tour I was on, it was everyone's shoes were just right in the bunk alley. And I was like, what the fuck is this? This is disgusting. Like I thought everyone just knew that the shoes go in a drawer. There's the water drawer and then the shoe drawer. I don't know yeah. what's, what's so difficult about that. I don't know who sets the trend, but once one person or two people start doing, then it just becomes a th- it kind of becomes an unspoken. Yeah. yeah, I just have my own shoe, shoe placement. <laughs> yeah, I almost I would generally be the one who's bucking the trend by putting my shoes away, and people are like, well, that's that's where the remote control goes. And yeah, the, they'd be like, that's gross. Why are you putting your shoes in a drawer? I was like, why am I sleeping next to your disgusting boots and socks? Yeah, I, I'll never know who who sets that trend, but it, it it just varies from tour to tour. Yeah, it's it's one or the other. There's no in between. One of the things that's on my list is I don't want to say older, but let's say classic roadie style hazing. I I used to run into that a lot more than I do with like Fleetwood Mac and stuff. But some of my earlier tours, there were some, let's say, grumpy roadies that are still in the world that are just they think that touring has to include yelling and yeah. barking orders i don't know if we're just younger or if we're like the next generation but i don't think that's the case anymore no i no um but odd like oddly enough the you know one of the the times that i experienced that the worst was from someone that was younger than me but the whole claim was that they had learned that from working on some of those with under some of those old school production managers and that, and, you know, thought that that's how it had to be, you know, yelling, screaming, pranks, just super childish uh, elementary school type behaviors. Yeah. I go, I go back and forth on them because there's, there's pranks that are really in good faith they're really funny and they're like oh you got me right but where everyone where everyone gets it they're like okay that was good you got me i love you you love me we all get yeah Yeah. but then there's this sinister side of pranks where it's not in good faith and where people are singled out you know and yeah they're, they're singled out and it's like on a daily basis and then having other departments go and do their dirty work and, and pull off these pranks on somebody else or, you know, try to make it. I think a prank is like a harmless thing, but hazing is not. I, I don't know if, I don't know where the definitions lie for those, but. Yeah. Prank, uh, hazing, bullying. I don't know. All kinds. I, th- of... I think bullying is probably the best term. I think. Yeah. I, I remember a, a loadout in Nova Scotia and I had left a, a three pin cable. It was like a hundred footer that went from dimmers up to the, the spotlight. And we hadn't even left. I'm like, I hadn't fully forgotten it. All I had to do was go back and get it. But my PM found it and he just laid into me so unnecessarily. It was, 
it was a simple like, hey, Chris, you forgot that, that cable that we don't usually run. Can you go get that? Because yeah. We usually just tie in. Yeah. It could have been that simple. And I'd be like, oh, man. But he really wanted to take the time to let all the other departments know and that he was going to, if I didn't go get it, it was going to end up in my bunk. Right. And I feel like that's something that used to be a, a norm. So he didn't see any reason why it was unnecessary. Right. But at the same time, come on, man. That's, we don't need that anymore. Just. Yeah. Uh, just. Well, I, I had a, a one situation where we had a confetti delivery like the day before and uh, you know, all the confetti would live up in the load bars on this drive. I would load all the cannons and that during load in. But uh, for some reason, the PM was not happy where the confetti was like put off to the side during load in had, you know, this we're talking like full cases of confetti, you know, 50 pound boxes. The PM had hands bring probably 25 or so boxes of confetti into the production office, put them under everyone's desks in the production office, called me into the production office and was like, what the fuck is all this confetti doing in here? Get it out of here. I was like, are you fucking kidding me right now? Like you brought all of this in here with all the stage hands and everybody in, you know, it's under the tour accountant, under the production assistants, everybody's desks. There's just cases of confetti. And she's like, you need to get all of this out of here and back on the truck. Uh, it was just dealing with stuff like that on the daily. It's like, who does that? <laughs> That sounds so unnecessary. And it's just childish. Uh, yeah, there's all kind. you know. Yeah, I stories for days. <laughs> so it's weird, though. If that was something that a good friend of mine did, or he like came and put a whole bunch of confetti out in front of house, and it was all kind of in, in good fun, that would be a, a laugh. It, yeah. But what you're describing there doesn't sound it's funny. Not, it sounds It's not funny at all. Like, they're, you know, and everyone, they're literally under tables and desks. And, you know, you got a two or three under each desk. And, you know, they're heavy. They're, you know, get on your hands and knees, pull it out while people are working at their desks and everything. It's like, it's ridiculous. And at the time, you're just like, part of you just wants to be like, fuck off. Like, go fuck yourself. Like, are you kidding me right now? But then you're like, well, what do I do? Like, do I just keep my head down, just go in, get all the confetti out, put it back on the dock? Like, you don't know what to do. You know, there's all the, you know, yeah, it's not, it's not a fun scenario to be in. And then and especially dealing with things like that on a daily basis. For and then based on your reaction, you're either a whistleblower right. or you're a whiner. But yeah, and then who do you tell? Because it's coming from the person at the top. There's no one. Oh. It's coming. Yeah. Like, where do you go to? Do you go to management? We don't, we don't, we don't like, have a human resources department. Yeah. Yeah. So that they're the, that's the person you would go to, to talk about these things. You right. know, then you, you go to front of house and then your uh, the carps had been like glued and screwed shut your work box. And then, you know, and then that's full of like a hundred pounds of confetti. <laughs> And then, you know, you're like, 
then you're like, well, do I try to do something back? Like, do I, or is that just going to backfire even more? Or like, and then you just get yelled at and screamed at about everything else. And then, you know, and then you start hearing like rumors going around that you, that it's like, oh, you focused the show too quickly. It's like, what? Who has ever said that? You like, and then you, but you're hearing that from everybody else, not from that one person. And, you know, so it's like, oh yeah, Jason, you know, focused the show too quickly today. It's like, what? That's the, how, who, what? <laughs> uh, it sounds very high school to me. Yeah, it was uh, super it sounds... high school. Yeah, like just things you'd never thought you would ever have to deal with. Like, why is that a thing? Like, and you know, and that's just me, not other people. Yeah, uh, I, I, I'd like to think that we're progressing past that. I feel like we all have the words and the terminology to call that out now. Whereas it used to just be, commonplace yeah. i think we all know that that is bullying and we we can at least call it yeah bullying and we can definitely point out that it's unnecessary it's not a native part of touring anymore no yeah and, and like you said a, a prank where like everyone's involved you know that's fun you know i like a good prank but like when you're when someone is singled out on a daily basis mm-hmm uh, that's, that's definitely beyond, that's not a prank anymore. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. Like you said, it's bullying. I would say, you know, you can bitch and complain about, about it with other people on tour or that, or, you know, other people that are experiencing it as well, but you know, you don't, there's no one else to go to. Uh, here's a great story along the same lines. I was on a tour with Rob Gibson. He was the designer, programmer, operator, he was the, he was my boss. I was the lighting crew chief working for the vendor. Him and I became very quick friends. Uh, we're very good to this day. We're very good friends. And one day I just had a terrible day. I dropped some trust on a guy. He wasn't, he wasn't injured, but he, he got hurt. Uh, we had to like completely redesign things because Rob had a new idea and he wanted to move a bunch of stuff around. So I had cables everywhere. It was, it made it for a really, really long day for being a crew chief of one. And then at the end of the night, we were kind of doing a wrap up and he was like, so you know, during the show, I asked you to kill breaker number 17 and you killed number seven. Maybe you didn't hear me. I don't know what's going on. And I, I'm like, well, I, I thought I heard 17 or it was seven. He's like, man, you need to really listen up Dodo. And for some reason, when he called me a dodo, I just saw red. I chucked my radio down and I stormed off the bus and went and took a shower. And in the, in the shower, I was just like, I could feel my body so tense. I was so angry. And all of a sudden I'm like, he called me a dodo. And then I finally, I just released it and I started giggling. I'm like, I, why am I upset at being called a dodo? And then I went back. I'm like, dude, you really pissed me off when he called me a dodo. And he, he didn't really get it. He's like, we both had a, a common laugh at the time, but I mean, it was out of, it was out of frustration, but we could laugh about it afterwards. And it doesn't sound like you ever got that to that, to that place. It wasn't, yours wasn't done out of frustration. It sounds like your, your no, situation was actual. It's more like vindictive. Yeah. You know, I have theories as to maybe why I could have been singled out. But uh, I'll never know, uh, or even some of the other people. 
but uh, it was definitely like, you know, sometimes I think it's like a, a power trip thing, you know, firing people was a common thing on that tour for no reason. Sometimes maybe for a reason, but sometimes for a small f- thing that could have been easily fixed, you know, so I think it was just a lot of, uh, I don't know, swinging your dick around. I don't know. <laughs> you want to call it that. And uh, the metaphorical dick that gets swung around. Yeah. <laughs> By a f- even though a female, yeah. but uh, you, gotta wa- you gotta watch out for that metaphorical dick. Yeah. Yeah. So that's probably one of the things that you'll get at the symphony that you will never get on the road. You'll never get a reason why you're getting let go or why you're being singled out. Whereas in the, at a house gig, you have human resources available. You have, yeah, there are people uh, to talk to clear yeah. chain of command. Yeah. If somebody's not doing their job, you can go to somebody else. Yeah. Whereas on the road, you, we just, we're a band of pirates. You, if, yeah, for sure. If, if you're being bullied by the bully, you, you have. Yeah. No yeah. You know, another tour uh, that I was on at the end of last year, I witnessed someone else, you know, the PM would, uh, definitely lash out at a few people on that tour really bad a lot of bullying and uh they did get management involved thinking you know and you know management thought you know sounded like they were gonna like take care of it all you know and be like oh this is a serious matter like we don't stand for any of this but at the end of the day it was just kind of like brushed under the rug like it never happened and life just went on as normal and you know you know maybe they behaved for a day but then it's just back to normal you know, people don't change for the most part. They're just going to continue with those behaviors. And it's a learned behavior. I would imagine it's, it's I would imagine it's very difficult for those people to change because they think yeah. that's, that's how the way it has to be. Yeah. That's how you're supposed to be. That's how, you know, I'm supposed to run the crew and, you know, I'm supposed to yell at them and berate them and make them feel like shit and make everyone feel like they're walking on eggshells all day, you know? But uh, there's no need for that. And then you go on some other tours where it's just like everyone's happy. Everyone, you know, like it's just the complete opposite. You know, the first tour that I did after that one tour where I, you know, it was pretty rough for a couple of years. I was like, oh, my God, this is like people are being nice. Like, you know, <laughs> you got called into the production office. and You're like, oh, shit. Like, am I going to get yelled at for God knows what? But what? Because I focus too quick. Like, am I going to get yelled at today? It's like, oh, hey, there's like some birthday cake. Do you want birthday cake? It's like, oh, oh, it's it's. Then you're like, oh, it's OK to go in the production office. Like, you know, and then at the end of the show, if you're like, oh, man, like great show. Like, you know, it's it's it was such a different vibe. And I was like, oh, this is like this is what I remember touring being like. Like, it's fun. I'm having fun. And like but when you're out there and it's just this uncomfortable situation and you know, I would come home sometimes from the end of a leg and I'd just be like, I just, I'm like, I don't want to go back. This sucked. Like it just wasn't fun. And, but then oh, coming used- from a theater background, that's what I know entertainment business to be is friendship and yeah, sticking it out no matter how tough things get. The family vibe and yeah, I grew up in or I started in high school theater where like man, it was like a bunch of ragtag kids that didn't normally associate with each other, but kind of yeah. when when theater came together, everybody was kind of like a family and you pulled together. Yeah. So what was it that brought you into theater? I clearly wasn't to get yelled at and berated. It was it was something much more wonderful than that. 
what brought me to theater? I mean, uh, it was always lighting. I was always had the interest in lighting. That's definitely what brought me into it. And I was kind of around it uh, at a pretty young age. Uh, oddly enough, of all places, um, at my synagogue growing up in Vancouver used to put on these big productions. And, uh, you know, when I was like 10, I would go, you know, my parents would help uh, with like loading and that. Uh, I think my dad ran audio. I don't know how my dad ran audio for these shows, but <laughs> somehow he did. Uh, but I remember I'd go and help out. And, uh, you know, that's kind of where I got my first taste of it all. And uh, definitely took on to the lighting side of things from there and then into high school and then uh, working in lighting shops and theaters around Vancouver. Did your dad have a theater um, background? No, no, he's just uh, alarm systems. Uh, so I think he they probably went to him because he had like some technical knowledge, but uh, I think he has a hard time even sending emails. So Wow, he just knew he wanted to run sound for his synagogue. <laughs> yeah. He had no idea what that was going to do to his son. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> right on. So what was your what was your first tour then? Uh my first tour was uh Systems Tech for uh Bad Company. Wow. <laughs> and then that was the only tour that I was ever a tech on. And then after that it was uh just lighting director. Uh was bad company and then Weird Al. That's a great uh, tour. Yeah. I don't remember what it was after that. <laughs> so you picked up a console pretty quick then? Yeah. Oh, you know what? Before even touring, I mean, I was doing corporate stuff. Yeah, long before that. Uh, I was on consoles long before even touring. Uh, gotcha. Theater stuff, uh, corporate stuff. Uh, I had, uh, when I first moved to San Diego as the house LD at House of Blues, when that first opened up. Okay. Uh, so, yeah. So I guess uh, I've had one house gig before, two house gigs actually before. And then 20 gig. years without a house gig and now you're back. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, 10 years in between them, I think. I had a house gig in New York for a while as well at a kind of a theater type place. Right on. Well, congratulations for uh, having uh, the notion that it was a good time to get off yeah, the road. Thank you. Uh, time, yeah. Looking back, uh, the timing definitely uh, was the right time to do that. Yeah. I remember reaching out to you right before I was like, and I was like, you know, you, you've retired from the road. Yeah. Uh, is this a good idea? And then you, have to, you even said, you know, I've retired several times from touring. Uh, yeah. Uh, I remember when I, the second time I quit touring, I went to Cirque du Soleil. And one of the programmers there, her name was Liz Koch. And she, she called me out before I was even ready to hear it. She's like, oh, you're a touring guy. You're trying to take a job at Cirque. She's like, you'll, you'll make it a year. <laughs> and I think I made it a year just to prove her wrong. I ended up leaving after a year and a half. <laughs> like I wasn't ready to hear what she had to say. I was like, no, I'm, I'm for reals. I'm, I'm done. Yeah. And then after a year and a half, like the bug hit and you're like, nah, this is, this is crap. I got to get out of here. Yeah. And it's hard to I real, really nail down the description of what it is other than boredom or just it gets stale. I, I yeah. Think. I think I really got bored for sure. I, yeah. needed a ch I needed a change. Like I was just, yeah, I, was, I think I was just really bored. It wasn't fun anymore. I think I needed a new challenge. Uh, even if that's for a couple of years, you know, 
Mm -hmm. uh, you know, open up this new venue and, you know, something different for a little while. One or two generations ahead of us, they don't get it because the, the key to success for the generations before us was you get out of school, you get a job and you keep that job for 40 years. You get a pension, you get benefits, you get a golden watch, you get respect. Yeah. I don't feel that's the way the world is now. I feel like if you need 40 years to get a pension, they're going to let you go at 39. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, everyone's so, so ADD now. Everyone needs change. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we need constant stimulation now. We, yeah. Like, oh, we got to change the channel after five seconds now. Yeah. Can't even make it through a whole show. Well, right on, Jason. Uh, I really appreciate yeah. it. Uh, congratulations on the new job. I hope everything works out very well. I'm sure that I look forward to coming to San Diego to see the shows at the, at the new outdoor yeah. amphitheater. Come check it out. Yeah. Absolutely. Thanks for, thanks for the chat. Thank you so much for taking the time, Jason. Yeah. Thanks. Talk to you soon.